May be seated. There is no other way to be made right with God except through faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And that's why we're here tonight to worship our Lord and Savior. Our message tonight is going to be looking at the cross from the perspective of Matthew. So if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be looking at Matthew 27. We started with a scripture reading earlier. We're going to be looking at 32 through 44. And then we'll have another scripture reading that picks up at verse 45 after the message. So it's Matthew 27, 32 through 44, and that's on page 834 of our Pew Bibles. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we come before your word tonight. And as always, we ask for the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. We freely express our dependency upon you to fully understand your word. We ask for your blessing to accompany the reading and and proclamation of your word. And we ask that we would not only hear it, but take these truths and apply them and live them out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The 1953 Chevrolet Corvette had a red interior. But the next year, in 1954, you had an option of blue or black. In the, in the 53 and 54 years, there were six cylinders. Once you get to 55, you could have a V8. The 74-year vets were the only year they had split bumpers. So the rear bumper and the back of the vehicle was just split vertically right down the middle, two sections. Only year to ever have that. 1975 was significant because you could no longer get a 454 cubic inch engine. What a shame. And then 1978, of course, all had the 25th anniversary emblem. And on and on it goes. We could go on all night about the distinctive marks of the Corvette. And car enthusiasts in general know that depending on the year of the car, there's always something that, that marks it. There's always something that's peculiar, that's, that's unique to that particular model making year that is, is not applicable to, to other years of, of the same car. It has a distinctive mark. And so if you see what, one of those distinctive marks, you know it has to be that, that year. And if you don't see that distinctive mark, well then you know it, it can't be that year. It could be some other year, but not that one. It doesn't have the distinctive mark. Our Lord and Savior has some distinctive marks as well. He must be fully God and fully man. He must fulfill all, not some, not most, not all but one, but all of the Old Testament Messianic prophecies. He has to fulfill them all. For example, he must have been born in Bethlehem. He must enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. We looked at that on Sunday. And he must have gone to the cross and died a sinner's death. Now there are distinctive marks. There are several distinctive marks that Jesus possesses. But the cross is the big one. That's that's the capital T-H-E distinctive mark. 
The cross is the centerpiece. It's the, the fulcrum upon which our redemption and faith balances and pivots. Every, every person before the cross looks forward to that event in faith. And of course, all of us born after the cross look back to it in faith. The cross is the undisputed symbol of the Christian faith recognized on every single continent throughout the world. Yet Jesus' enemies, on the day he was betrayed, thought it was out of place. As, as we're going to see in the text tonight, they thought it was unbecoming of someone who claimed to be the Son of God. They thought it, it, it disqualified Jesus from being the Son of God. But we know the cross was necessary. The cross is not something to avoid or downplay. And as dark and as morbid and as gruesome as the cross and crucifixion was, we know that it is the distinguishing mark of the Son of God. Let's read this passage. This is Luke, uh, excuse me, Matthew 27, 32-44. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry the cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests, with the scribes and elders mocking him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So we begin with an approach to the cross in verse 32. Condemned men were required to carry the cross beam of the the instrument of their death. They were required to carry this, this wooden beam that was then affixed to, to the vertical beam of the cross at the execution site. And the soldiers would not have permitted anyone to help Jesus unless he was physically unable to, to continue. Because carrying the cross, carrying that, that burden, that, that cross beam, that was part of the execution, that was part of the punishment. They had to, to carry their own cross. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you stayed up all night? Probably a long time ago. You know, we've all kind of got times where we don't sleep much or we don't, you know, we have restless sleep, but for the last, the last time you actually had no sleep, you, you, lived, you, you woke and you went about your day and then nighttime came and you just never went to sleep and then you went about your day the next day and you just continued on. Not very often. I did it once in college and it was not a pleasant experience. And the next day, I was not just off, I was really off. I, I was cognitively impaired. I, there, there were some, some parts that just became fuzzy during, during the day. I, I felt like sensory deprivation at, at some points. It's not easy to function after a night of no sleep. 
Jesus had not slept. He, he had been up all night in the, in the high priest's house. He had been up all night for the, for the trial and then, then during the day and, and with Pilate and being tossed back and forth. He had not slept all night. So we can only imagine that he was tired and extremely fatigued. Now add on top of that, add on top of an entire night, not, not sleep, add the, the multiple beatings that he received from, from soldiers and from the people that were mocking him. Uh, add the scourging that he experienced. Remember, this was being flogged with the, what they call the, that cat of nine tails. It was this leather whip that was braided and, and sprouted out in, a, in, a, in a several different uh, end pieces. And then woven in those were pieces of bone or metal or, or pottery designed to cut. And he had been inflicted with uh, the, the scourging by that instrument flogged, which sometimes did kill people from simply blood loss. He'd experienced that, and now he was being forced to carry the crossbeam. So yes, he was physically unable to continue carrying the cross any further. So that is the only reason they ordered someone else to do it. And then they came to Golgotha, the place of the skull. There's been a lot of speculation on exactly where this is, and we cannot to this day with precision, identify the place of the cross. It was outside the city gate of Jerusalem. We know that. Verse 34, this wine and gall mixture was designed to dull the sensitivity to pain. Gall simply means uh, drugged, uh, drugs with bitter taste. So the wine was drugged. And Jesus tasted it and then refused it. So he, he recognized it for what it was and said, no, I'm not going to drink that. He wanted to complete his atoning work in an unaltered state. He went to the cross feeling everything. And then on the cross, verse 35, he was crucified and his clothes uh, were removed and they were casting lots for his clothes. This casting lots for the clothes is another one of those distinctive marks of the Messiah, a distinctive mark of the Son of God. This is a direct fulfillment of, of Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So that's one of those distinctive marks. Verse 36, the soldiers kept watch. Remember the soldiers were there not only to carry out the, the order of execution, but they were also there, and of course they were armed, they were there to prevent any kind of last minute uh, rescue attempt by friends or family, or in this case, uh, devoted followers. And of course they were there to verify his death when it occurred. Verse 37 talks about the, the sign. So it was very common to have a sign or a placard affixed uh, to the cross that identified the victim by name and the charge. And so that's what we've got. We've got Jesus or Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was written in Latin, uh, Greek, and Aramaic. There were three crosses that day. Jesus was on the one in the middle with one in his left and Another one on his right. So this is another distinctive mark. This is a literal fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 12. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with or numbered among the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So here's another distinctive mark of the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled that. And then we see the responses to the cross. And this is what we really want to pay particular attention to tonight. Verses 39 and 40, the first group is identified those who passed by. 
those who passed by. This was a public event. Execution was a public event. Now, we don't have too many of those anymore around here. The last one in the United States was 1936 in Kentucky. 20,000 people were there. It's an event. Jesus' execution was an event. There were spectators. There were people there to watch. It says, wagging their head. And then look what they said. You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So we've got Son of God, save yourself, come down from those who pass by. And then the next group is identified, verse 41 and 43, chief priests along with the scribes and elders mocked him, and look what they said. He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. So again, son of God, save yourself, come down. All three elements. And then in verse 44 it says, And the robbers also joined in and reviled him in the same way. So in the same way, meaning they said the same things. And so if we want to verify that, we can. We just turn to another gospel account and we we see if there's a record of what the other criminals said. And sure enough, uh, Luke 23, 29, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And of course, the come down is implied. If you're going to save yourself and, and us, we need to come down from these crosses. So all of them were essentially saying the same thing, a little differently. Some of them had some elements added that the others didn't. They, they, they looked not identical, but they had those three elements. Save yourself, come down, son of God. So what, what they're really saying here is, Uh, Hey, Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, you're going about it all the wrong way. Whatever you think you're doing, this this isn't working. Uh, The the Son of God, the Messiah, hanging on a cross? No. Mm -mm. No, that's, that's not how it works. In fact, the longer you remain up there on the cross, the more you prove You aren't who you say you are. That's really what they were saying. This this isn't matching, son of God. Come down. Save yourself. So the spiritually darkened mind thinks. But this was a distinctive mark. The cross still is a distinctive mark. We, We know, Jesus knew, and what we know today, because the confusion is gone, we no longer have to wonder who Jesus is, his identity or his mission and purpose. The confusion is gone, so we know that the cross was necessary. It was part of the eternal plan from the beginning. We know that the cross is a distinctive mark. Therefore, we embrace the cross. We, we remember the cross. We, we place a, a cross on the Lord's table. We have a, a giant cross in the center and in the, in the middle of the sanctuary. We know that the cross is a distinctive mark because without it there is no hope. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no resurrection. There is no reconciliation with the Father. There is no life. 
We understand we deserve to be numbered with the transgressors because we are transgressors. We deserve to die a sinner's death because we are sinners. We deserve the wrath of God to be poured out on us because the wages of our sin is death. We know that he was destined to be our substitute. We know that he died the death that we deserve. We know it should be us on the cross, but instead it was Jesus. So we need the cross. And although it fills us with sorrow to think about our Lord's suffering on the cross, we know it was necessary. It was a distinctive mark of the Son of God and part of his eternal, eternal plan. So as much as it disturbs us to think about Jesus in excruciating pain, hanging by pierced hands and feet from that wooden cross, we are also glad that he went to the cross. We are also glad that he did not yield to the garden temptation and bypass the cross. We are thankful that he did not save himself, but instead saved us. We're thankful that he did not come down, but instead remained on the cross. It was a distinctive mark. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, offered, it up, offered up on our behalf. His blood was shed. His life was given for us on the cross. Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so the one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all, all men. So we understand what that means. right? The, the one trespass is Adam's sin. Adam's sin led to condemnation for all men, all people. And then so the one act of righteousness, the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. And and while we're here, let's just, let's nail this down. It says all men, all men. We understand when the Bible uses that phrase, all men, it it sometimes but not always means everyone all-inclusive. It depends on the context. So the first time it says all men, that means everybody. Adam's sin led to the condemnation for everybody. But when it says justification and life for all men, that's talking about the, the, the people that are in discussion in the context. Those who uh, are saved and, and are justified by God. All those people. That's who the cross is for. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. One time, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous is Jesus. The unrighteous is us. We're the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. There is no other way to to be brought to God or, or to make our own way to God. We have to be brought to God through faith in Jesus because of the of the cross. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a valid scriptural promise. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. What does call mean? Mark 1, 15, for the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you repent of your sin, repent means to turn away from, to, to crucify, to mortify sin, to, to have a new relationship with it, one where you say, I hate sin, You take concrete steps to eliminate it from your life. You don't want to have anything to do with it. And you turn in faith. You turn towards Jesus. You believe in the gospel. 
And the gospel is centered on the cross. The gospel tells us that the, the only reason we can be brought near to God and have our sins forgiven is because of the cross. The cross enables God to be both just and justifier of the one who pays, puts his faith in Jesus. So the, the cross is God pouring out the wrath for the sin of his people so that the payment is made, the penalty is paid on the cross by Jesus. And when we turn to him in faith and repentance and belief, God promises he will impute or credit the perfect righteousness, in other words, the moral perfection of Jesus Christ to us. We need that. We've all broken all ten commandments. We've all, we've all broken them at the heart level. We, we've all failed to worship God perfectly our entire life. We've all failed to, to completely, perfectly honor every Sabbath of every, every day we've lived. We, we've, we've failed to honor the name of the Lord in the way it should be honored. We, we've failed to completely honor our mother and father perfectly. Well, at least they haven't killed anybody. No, that's not how it works. Jesus says if you've become angry at someone, if you've wished ill on someone, if you've, that, that's like breaking the commandment at the heart level. So we've broken all ten commandments. We need the perfect righteousness that only Jesus possesses. When we repent and believe, God promises, I will give you that. I will give you the perfect righteousness of Christ and I will forgive your sin because Jesus paid the penalty for it. Welcome into my kingdom. And it's all because of the cross. There's no getting around it. We're glad that Jesus remained on the, on the cross. There have been over a million Corvettes made. And there are a lot still on the road. Many of them look similar, uh, some almost identical. But when you, when you drive by and you see some distinctive mark, you know which one it is. So if, if you drive by and you see a 1974 Corvette, if you, if you drive by or if you pull up behind one at a stoplight and you see that split bumper, then you know it's a 1974. It can't be any other year. They, they could have changed the wheels and tires. They could have repainted it. It doesn't matter how many fuzzy dice are hanging from the rearview mirror. That, that is, that's the distinctive mark. It can't be anything else than that. It identifies the year with 100% accuracy. Luke 24, 29, or excuse me, 39 and 40 says this. This is Jesus speaking. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now this is Jesus post-resurrection. So this is Jesus in his resurrected, glorified body, showing them his nail-scarred wrists and feet. He showed them his distinctive marks. And that is what verified with 100% accuracy, yes, this is the same Jesus who died on the cross. This is the Son of God. Now, Jesus was born and placed in a manger, but Jesus is not going to be eternally lying in a manger. Jesus walked on water, but his feet are not going to be eternally wet. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, but he is not going to be eternally seated on a donkey. 
<coughs> Each one of those are distinctive marks. But he is going to be recognized by the distinctive marks left by the cross forever. Who is our Savior? It is the Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross on our behalf and shed his blood so that we can have our sins forgiven. Amen.